Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a two-week Christmas series, where in week one, we'll look at the response of the shepherds, and in week two, we'll look more deeply into the gift of peace that Jesus Christ brings. Thanks for joining us. Well, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. Luke chapter 2, if you're getting used to turning there in your Bibles, it's in the last fifth of the Bible, the back fifth. And if you're using one of the Bibles in the seat rack there, the black Bibles, it's on page 832. We're going to look at these 13 verses starting in verse 8 today. Uh, It's the account of the shepherds. And as you're turning there, uh, I was talking with uh, a family uh, several years ago, and they were explaining to me that uh, the father and daughter, whenever they come to church, they use the message notes. But what they do is they actually compete to see how many blanks they can guess right and see who wins. So if that's you, and you use the notes that way, try and guess how many things you're going to get right in the blanks, I just want to tell you, this is your day. This is going to be a really easy day, because there's a lot of answers that you can kind of expect, but I want you to know that you give me this honored privilege to study the Word of God during the week, and I'm so grateful to you for that. The other teachers are too. And this time, I've, I've taught on the shepherds over the years a number of times, but this time as I was studying this account, there was a word that stood out to me, and it was the word glory. And uh, I, I'm, I, if you're following along in the notes, Uh, In the shepherd's account, glory or a form of glory is used three times. In the shepherd's account, glory is used three times. Now today, I want to talk with you about the glory of the Lord, because I don't know about you, but I need to understand that better, what that is, what it means. Uh, But also, I want to try and answer this question. What do you do with his glory? I mean, once we have some idea of what it is, what do we do with his glory? What do the shepherds do? What do we do with his glory? So that's really a question I want to try and talk about with you today. But just to give you the background, the context uh, for this account, uh, if you're following along, the glory of the Lord shines into a dark place in history. The glory of the Lord shines into a dark place in history. And the idea here is that I don't know how familiar you are with the Bible, but the Old Testament ends with the book of Malachi. Between Malachi and Matthew, the first gospel, the four gospels, we're going to look at the third one today, Luke, but between that, there's almost in everybody's Bible, there's a white page. And it it may seem like just a short, you know, turn to the next page, but for people living between the Old and the New Testament, it was 400 years of silence with God. No prophecy, no prophet, and people began to go, where's God? And people began to create their own ideas of who God must be in light of his silence. And again, if you've looked at history, you know that there are times when history is looking up, human history. And there are times when human history is looking down. There are times when it seems like the future is bright, and other times when the future seems dark. This was one of those times in history when people living, at least in Israel, felt like things were looking down, that they were dark, that God wasn't talking. And so this is the context. 
And it caused in them a lot of questions, and it caused in them a lot of wondering. And again, I don't know where you would describe our time in history, but I hear a lot of people sensing this is getting darker rather than getting brighter right now, or at least that's how it feels. And then you walk into a church service, and it's been raining, and it's gray, and it's December, and winter is ahead, and all. And so it you just may find yourself saying, what's the glory of the Lord have to do with anything in my life or today? I want to talk with you about that. So let's pray, and then we're going to look at this account together and see what we can learn. So God, I never want to assume that just because we hold a church service, you're bound to have to show up or do something in our lives. We believe that you're already present, most of the time we miss you. We miss you at work. So we ask that you'd open our eyes that we might see, that you'd open our hearts and minds to understand what we do not understand apart from you revealing it to us. And we pray you do this for your sake and ours. Amen. Okay, so let's read together. I'm going to invite you to read verse 9 in that first gray box and then the last verse, verse 20, in the second gray box as we make our way through these verses and then we'll unpack them, okay? Here's verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. It tells us what time of day it is. Now, would you read verse 9 with me? An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. Verse 10, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, that's what Bethlehem was called, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a feeding trough, a manger, Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told, told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Now would you read verse 20 with me? The shepherds return, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Now, I told you that even when I studied this week, I still needed to study what is the glory of the Lord? There's something mysterious about it. Like how, if someone stopped you on the street this week and says, what does the word glory mean? When it says glory, it's, that's a, it seems like a churchy word or like a soul word, like what is that, like the glory. And so I'm gonna give you my best shot. I'm gonna explain a couple things before I actually give the definition of the notes. So in the Old Testament, the word for glory is kavod. In the New Testament, in Greek, it's the word doxa. So when it uses that word, just to have some understanding and background when they use words as they wrote this, the word kavod is also sometimes understood as the word weight. W-E-I-G-H-T. So it can mean heavy, weighty. 
And so when it talks about glory, there's a sense that it leaves an impression, that there's a forcefulness to it. It's not something you can experience and go, huh. So this glory idea, also this idea that glory is God's self-revelation. It's his disclosure of all his perfections. So to experience it, the Bible often describes that whenever God would make an appearance like that, or he would suddenly open people's eyes to see the glory of God, what they often related to was how bright it was. It was light. And the Bible tells us that God is light And in him, there is no darkness at all. Now, that's what makes him different from us. So when we think about the glory of God, if I was to give a definition besides the fact that it means that he has a weight, uh, a heaviness, uh, an impact, an influence, that there's a brightness, a light, here's the definition I would give if you ask me. Glory is the beauty, brightness, greatness, and presence of the Lord. Glory is the beauty, the brightness, the greatness, and the presence of the Lord. So when you experience his glory, that's what you're encountering. You're going, oh my goodness, in all his perfections, the beauty of his person, the brightness of his person, the greatness of his person, the presence of his person. Wow. And so that brings us to this idea of the glory of the Lord shining to the shepherds. Now, before I go on, I just want to tell you that sometimes I know that some of you say, you know, Jeff, that was a nice little intro there, a little helpful, but I'd like to actually look and see more myself. If that's you, then I want to just show you a couple of the tools I use almost every week, and I'll put that up here. If you want to search the word glory at BibleGateway.com on your computer or the YouVersion Bible app on your smartphone, then you can do that. It's an interesting thing. Uh, BibleGateway.com, by the way, also has a phone app for Bible Gateway. The, probably the most used, it gets millions of hits every day, is the YouVersion Bible app on the phone. Now, if you take it and you type in the word where there's this little magnifying glass, it's a search tool, then you can see glory, glorify, that kind of idea. And I did that this week. And I found that it was a fascinating thing. And there's no way I can talk about all that there was there. But this gives you kind of a summary. So now let's look back at the account of the shepherds. Notice several things. First, God comes to shepherds and reveals his glory to them if you're following along. God comes to shepherds and reveals his glory to them. Now let me try and read it a different way so that we get an idea of how a first century person would have read this. God comes to shepherds and reveals his glory to them. Now, why did I get that high voice? Because the first century people, when they thought of shepherds, they would have gone, no way. Shepherds would have been their reaction. And the reason why is because shepherds had a reputation. What do I mean by that? Well, A lot of times we think of shepherds as people that went out, spent time with sheep, and then went back in the house and watched TV or did something like that where they weren't with the sheep all the time. It's not true. They actually watched sheep 24-7. Translated, they didn't take showers. These were people that they smelled. They were people that looked, you know, they, they didn't, it seemed like they didn't have much of an education because they watched animals all day. The truth is, that's just a generalization, but that's how they were perceived. Besides that, most shepherds had the reputation of not being honest. 
uh, people would notice that sometimes when shepherds lived near them, things were missing that they had. And so they just had this reputation. They were not allowed to give a testimony in the court of law. They would have been picked last on the playground of life for kickball. They just were not the kind of people that you would have said. Now, who would God appear to when he wants to tell really important news? Oh, shepherds. No, no one would have done that. And the reason I bring this up is because part of the glory of the Lord is that God often gets the greatest glory by showing up in places where no one expects him. So he does that. Notice next that when that happens, an angel says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news. And the reason why this was so big, by the way, did you notice every time in the Bible when an angel appears, almost the very next thing they say to whoever human being they appear to, they have to say this, do not be afraid. Why? Because they just dress different than us. <laughs> and when they appear, you're just like, ho! Wow! <laughs> and it's just terrifying, knee knocking. And so they're terrified. It totally humbles. Now, admittedly, if you're out there sitting in the dark watching sheep who are probably sleeping, it's dark, you really don't want any interruptions like this without warning. And so, boom, the sky lights up and they're going, ho, 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 And then this angel begins to talk to them and they go, look, 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 do not be afraid. I bring you good news. I imagine they were going, Phew, I'm glad you brought good news. Because <laughs> if you're going to do that to me and then tell me you've got bad news, I'm really, really taken off guard. But he tells them, look, I bring you good news of great joy. Chuck and Steve were talking about today in the city of David, right, right, just not right over there, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this news will cause great joy for all the people. It's just an amazing message, okay? Now, they're just finally trying to take all that in. You know, a lot of times when we talk about real life, and we hear somebody else tell about it, they've already had a chance to process it. But when it actually is happening to you, it takes a while to absorb it. It takes a while for it to sink in. So they're like, they're going, oh, okay. And then all of a sudden, God says, flips the switch even higher. And now a great company of the heavenly hosts show up with this angel. They're going, ah, it's getting even more interesting. I mean, wow. And they begin to sing this phrase. And here's where glory shows up the second time. Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth on whom his favor rests. This is an amazing thing. And so they're going, ho, ho, ho. Wow, this is unbelievable. And they're just trying to take all this in. They're absorbing it. So again, if you're following along, notice that an angel says, do not be afraid, I bring you good news. And then suddenly, many angels say, glory to God in the highest. Are you guys getting most of these blanks already guessed before I get to them? Okay. So here's what I, here's what I want you to see. Glory, glory. Now they've experienced glory the two times so far we see. Now, what does all this have to do with us? That, that happened outside, you know, on a hill outside of Bethlehem. What about Springfield, Chatham, this area? What about it? Well, I want to tell you that this passage, as I studied this, this really does tie into the vision that God's given for us as a church of being followers of Christ. We normally have the banners up here, if you didn't already know that, but we've decorated for Christmas. But here's what these banners say. We often repeat it around here. We are fighting 
shallow Christianity by becoming H3 disciples of Jesus who are hungry, humble, and hospitable. Now, if you ask me, this passage obviously would relate to all three of those postures, but particularly for me, when I think of glory, it relates to hungry. Why? Because as God works in our lives, sometimes we can go, well, you know, he worked in my life 25 years ago, and I'll just ride on that the rest of my life. But the truth is, is God is looking for hungry people. Someone says, well, why did he show up to the shepherds? Not only to show that his glory goes to unlikely places where he gets the most glory, but also because I believe the shepherds were hungry. I believe that the shepherds, they sat in that everyday situation with the same old, same old sheep, and they began to think, is God... God, what do you want to do? What are you doing in my life? I'm hungry to see you work in this world. And as he showed up, they were hungry. And here's this next line that I want to show you. Here's where I get this idea. Though they've seen his glory, they go and look for his glory. Though they've seen his glory, they go and look for his glory. Now, what do I mean? They just have seen his glory. But now, they say, let's go and look for, you know, what he just told us about. Now, I bring this up because maybe you've studied the Old Testament. Did you know that Moses, the Bible says, the most humble man on earth, led the people of Israel out of Egypt? Did you know that when he had experienced the parting of the Red Sea, the seeing of God come down on the mountain, the Israelites said what looked like a consuming fire, he had seen the glory of God. He had seen it in lots of ways. In fact, the Bible says his face even radiated the glory of God sometimes after being in his presence. But did you know that later in his life, what he said to God was, now show me your glory. He'd seen his glory, but he was hungry to know his glory even more. He was hungry. That's why he was the most humble man on earth, because he stayed teachable. He stayed hungry. And that's what you and I can be like too. But here's what happens with the glory of the Lord, if we've ever experienced it, we can ride on it and say, that's enough glory for me. But the Lord wants us to be hungry for his glory. And that's what these shepherds were. It's powerful. It's really powerful. So when they go, notice what happens. If you're following along, they find Jesus who's come to earth as a baby in a manger. They find Jesus who's come to earth as a baby in a manger. Now, I bring all this up because I told you earlier that when God reveals his glory, he does it in an unlikely place with an unlikely group of people. But when we think of the glory of the Lord, I don't know about you, but I, I, I know that, you know, Star Wars came out this week, and so there's a certain like, wow, you know, glory to Star Wars and all that. And the thing is, is all of us love, we love dramatic glory. We love sensational glory, don't we? Sometimes, especially when we just want to feel something, we say, take me to some place where I'm going to just experience a, just a huge shot of glory. When I was younger, watching Michael Jordan shoot a jumper, I remember thinking, that is glorious. That inspired me. This last weekend, uh, Trisha and I went to a symphony. I'm not necessarily a symphony guy, but we went to a symphony, and I remember sitting there in that symphony, listening to these people play these instruments and sing these songs, and I remember going, that is glorious. And there's something about those kind of things that are so, there's a certain amount of where you go, wow. But here's what I want you to see. When they go to Bethlehem and they find Mary and Joseph, it's quiet. It's under the radar. 
And as they look in that manger, they realize that the glory of the Lord sometimes is easy to miss. And there are times when we're looking for the glory of God and we don't see it because we're looking for it to show up in a certain way and God does it another way. But nevertheless, in that manger is the beauty, the brightness, the greatness, and the presence of God. And when they got done with that encounter, they told Mary and Joseph what had just happened and what the angels said about this child, and she treasures all that up in her heart. But after they get done with that, then notice what happens next if you're following along. The shepherds return and live for his glory. The shepherds return and live for his glory. Now, I like how J.B. Phillips, he wrote a paraphrase in the 1950s, and um, he paraphrased it this way. They went back to work, glorifying and praising God. What would happen if all those of us that had a job, either at a work site or at home, went back to our work, glorifying and praising God? Because we know Jesus. This is amazing. Now, let me just stop for a second and say, remember I told you about that one page between Malachi and the Gospels that just represents 400 years of silence? Let me just uh, tell you that one of the things the prophets had spoken before the time of silence was in Isaiah 40. And uh, look at these words. A voice of one calling. In the wilderness, in the wilderness. Not, not in a well-watered place. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged places, a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all the people will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. 400 years later, a guy named John gets the privilege of walking with this Jesus who had now become a man. And here's what he says as he looked back at that time in John 1:14. He says, the word, that word, that's describing Jesus who was pre-eternal. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Literally, he pitched his tent among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. And you know what the shepherds realized? The glory of the Lord is a person. David had said many years before, you're my glory. You're the lifter of my head. The glory of the Lord is Jesus. And he's come to earth and he has come to our sorry planet to do something. Aren't you glad? So they begin and they return and they say all this. Friends, can I just tell you, I've basically said these two phrases to you. Look for, live for. So they began to look for his glory and they began to live for his glory. Did you know that's why you and I exist? Sometimes people say, I don't know why God made me. I don't know why I'm here. I'll just tell you. You are made for a purpose. In fact, if you're following along, um, you're made to glorify God. Uh, do you know what glorify means when it says they, they return glorifying God? Uh, here's just a definition I'll give to you. It means to give weight to, there's that word again, W-E-I-G-H-T, excuse me, to give weight to, 
to point to, to value, to honor, exalt, and praise. So like when they say, when they say glory to God in the highest, what they're saying is, he's important. He's weighty. He is the one I give credit to. He's the one I honor and praise and exalt in my life. And so they did that. And they said, look, 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 any glory I have is borrowed. He's the source. All the credit goes back to him. Pay attention to him. He's where you find life. When you and I glory in something, we're looking to it for life. So there's all kinds of human glory that's available. You can get into financial glory, sexual glory, relational glory, vocational glory, all kinds, athletic glory. We've all seen it. And you know what? There's a certain buzz to that. But it fades. The glory of the Lord does not. And this is an amazing thing. And so when I think about our church, what, is, what if like each one of us walk out of this room with a sense of, oh my goodness, in fact, let me just give you the next line of the notes. We were made to know, live in, and live for God's glory. We were made to know, to live in, and live for God's glory. When you think of Adam and Eve walking in the garden in the cool of the day, the Bible says they were naked and unashamed. This is not about a nudist colony kind of comment, friends. This is the idea that they had the relationship with God that was so rich that they didn't need clothes. You know why? The glory of God was their clothes. They knew his greatness, his presence. They, they were able to walk in it. They breathed in it. And they realized, oh my goodness, to live in the glory of God. And that's why, friends, sometimes the word glory also refers to heaven. It's the ultimate expression Uneclipsed glory, no darkness there, no more sin. And to this idea that Christians have said over the years, one day I'm going to glory. And so it's just an amazing thing. And so anyway, as a church, did you know that from time to time, uh, God gives us this sense of our calling. A few years ago, when we first moved out to this building, one day I introduced a song that we've sung several times since. But it's, it's, it's a song that we can sing together that reminds us that we were made as a church in this city to glorify God and not ourselves. And so here, here's how it goes. I'll sing an acapella. If you want to join me, we'll sing it a couple times. It goes like this. Oh, the glory of your presence. We, your temple, give you reverence. Come and rise from your rest and be blessed by our praise as we glory in your embrace. As your presence now fills this place. Would you sing it again with me? Oh, the glory of your presence. We, your temple, give you reverence. Come and rise from your rest and be blessed 
by our praise as your very sorry in your embrace as your presence now fills this place he works through imperfect people doesn't he but you know friends when his presence happens he can do more in five seconds than we could do in 50 years and this is the good news we have to share with other people is that God wants us to live in and live for his beauty, his brightness, his greatness and presence. And we have this to share with the world, not as holier-than-thou people, not as superior people, but people like the shepherds who God has given his grace to. So let me just try and bring this home. We were made for his glory, but do you remember how the angel says, I bring you good news? You know why they had to bring good news? It's because the bad news was so bad. One of the reasons it was a dark place is because of the bad news. And here's the bad news the Bible tells us. I don't know if you believe it or not, but it says this if you're following along. We all fall short of God's glory and need a Savior. We all have fallen short. We all fall short. We've fallen short of God's glory and need a Savior. Some of us go, I don't need a Savior. And I'm doing just fine, thank you. But the Bible says, look, it's not trying to make us feel like worms. It's saying, look, you were made for one purpose and you've exchanged your purpose. And therefore, all the things you're busy doing, you've fallen short of God's glory. It's an archer's term. Some of you use compound bows. And it's the idea of pulling a, a bow back with the arrow and shooting it, and it lands far short. It does not hit the bullseye. It does not hit the target. And our lives have all fallen short of what God's glorious standard was for us. And the Bible says is that no matter how many New Year's resolutions we make, no matter how hard we try to be good with X's and O's, do good things to, you know, X out our bad things, that we need a Savior to save us from our sin and from ourself and from our failure. And the Bible says that that is what we are made for. But the Bible also tells us that Satan wanted to live for his own glory instead of God's glory. He wanted to be like God and said, I will be as great as the Most High. And he fell from heaven, and he now tempts, even tempted Jesus this way, what if you live for the glory of this world instead of the glory of God? And this is a tension that you and I live in every day, no matter how many years we've walked with God. This is why we've got to stay hungry for the glory of the Lord instead of counterfeit glory, instead of our own glory. Romans 1 tells us about this. You may have seen these verses before. It says, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. And it says they actually exchanged the glory of God for the created things he had made. They went for lesser things. Now some people go, what's so bad about that? Friends, 
The Bible says that when you and I live for our own glory or we go for other kinds of glory, we become fools. Now, let me just say that for a second, because if you don't believe it, have you ever seen somebody that tried to live for their own glory and you went, that's really ugly. That's so sad to see them so into themselves, trying to get all the glory they can for themselves. Most of us want to run from people like that. But when we're around someone who says, no, no, I wasn't made to show off. I wasn't made to accumulate all this glory for myself. I was made for his glory to shine in and through me to bless you. That you might sense his beauty, his brightness, his greatness, and his presence. Because it's not just for me. And when a person lives like that, wow. And that's what the good news is, is that Christ in you, the hope of glory. Man, so this next line, God sent Jesus to restore our broken relationship with him. God sent Jesus to restore our broken relationship with him. Listen to me really carefully. A lot of people think the Christian life is about having experiences. The Christian life is about having a relationship. I, when I was a kid, I looked for mountaintop experiences. Oh, God, do something sensational this weekend. And I would notice, I would go home, and two weeks later, the glory had evaporated. Why? Because I was looking for the glory of the Lord in an experience. The, the, the shepherds knew that they could see angels all day long, and it wouldn't necessarily change them. It would, they would eventually go away. But Jesus would never go away. And Jesus by his birth showed his glory, by his teaching and his miracles showed his glory, by his transfiguration showed his glory, by his death on the cross. You wanna see the glory of God? Look to the cross. Before it was foolishness to people, but God got the greatest glory by his son being sacrificed in our place. And he took something that was shameful and unattractive to the world before and he made it beautiful. Then he rose again and then he ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of God and now he has poured out his Holy Spirit so that now by his spirit he can live in your life and mine. People that are like shepherds can have Jesus living in them. You are my glory, Lord. Please teach me that when I go after other kinds of glory, I need to change my mind and live for your glory. This is why we're here. And you know, Jesus said in John 17, have you seen this before? He says, here's what he prayed the night before he's crucified. He said, Father, I've given them the glory that you gave me, he's talking about his disciples, that they may be one as we are one. Verse 24 goes on and says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. He wants us to know his glory. So let me just give you something that you see on a fairly regular basis to remind you of how to handle the glory of the Lord. You ready? Here it is. Have you ever seen one of these uh, in the sky? Have you ever seen this? Now, if you see a full moon, it can take your breath away on a dark night. It's beautiful. But did you know that the moon is not the source of its light? Did you know that the moon is reflecting a greater light, the sun? And did you know that sometimes we see a crescent moon, sometimes we see a half moon, and sometimes we see a full moon? You know what a full moon's doing? A full moon's saying, shine completely on my surface, have all of me, so that I might reflect the glory of another. 
And this is why you and I were made. And this is the only way we'll ever be happy. This is the only way we'll ever stop missing the mark. And this is good news. 2 Corinthians 3 tells us that God is in the process of transforming us. And he's telling us these things. And we all who with unveiled faces, just like the moon, contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness, his image, with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is the good work he wants to do in your life and mine. And so, as we wrap this up, let me just bring it down to a question you see that there, how we can join the shepherds? Now, as you walk to your car today, you may say, Jeff, you're like, would you give me something to like a handle to how do I handle his glory? Well, I've used two phrases throughout this message. I think we can put those up on the screen. Would you read these with me? Look for his glory, live for his glory. Okay? Look for his glory, live for his glory. So here's the question I want to ask you this morning. Where, Lord, are you inviting me to look for and live for your glory. Do you see that? Where? And now, as you put your notes away, let me talk to you about that just for a few more moments. The Lord showed his glory outside Bethlehem in a field with no accounts. People that were not spiritual wonders. And guess what? The Lord wants to show his glory in the likes of people like you and me that are so, I don't know, I can't speak for you, I am so flawed. (laughs) The thought of me standing up here talking about the glory of the Lord is unbelievable. You don't know my life, but over the years, I've used my mouth to hurt people. I've used my mouth to say all kinds of ugly things. And he is a redeeming God who now lets me speak his word. I just worship him for that. And even after becoming a pastor, becoming a Christian, there are so many times that I fall short or I chase after other glory. I sometimes have even preached hoping that I would get some glory. So this means a lot to me to hear this good news is that today, if I will change my mind about pursuing and looking for glory in those places, and I will look for glory from the Lord, to the Lord, he'll teach me. And also he'll show me how to live for his glory instead of Jeff Nelson. And that's what he wants for you and me. And so as you think about these next couple weeks, many of you have told me, This is one of the hardest times of the year for you, either because you got to hang out with family that doesn't believe and mocks you or because you're just in an oppressing situation in your family right now. Maybe you're just so depressed about our nation right now. Maybe you go to a workplace that wears you down every day. Maybe you're in a school that does not encourage you to follow Jesus. Friends, we need the glory of God to shine in those places. And so he's calling us to every day, when I, I'll just tell you how I do it. A lot of mornings, I'll just crawl out of bed and I'll get down on my knees and say, oh man, Lord, you know me. You know that I will be tempted today to live for my glory or look for glory in the wrong places. I humble myself before you. I want to be hungry for your glory instead of mine. Would you help me? 
and then I'll get up and I'll read the Bible and the, the glory of God is so often revealed in his word and each day as I read his word often sharpens or corrects me or helps me see something I've been blind to and then I say now Lord as I step into this day I'm going to go to lots of places hospitals people's offices talk at meals whatever show me how to look for your glory even in places that don't look like your glory's there and help me live for your glory pray for your glory to come into these dark places oh God shine there where is it for you? Is it your home? Is it your office? Is it your school? Is it your neighborhood? Is it your family? Is it a place? Is it a habit? So I want to give you time to think about that. And I want to tell you that if you'll just humble yourself before God and out of hunger say, oh God, I want to look for your glory and live for your glory. Teach me your way. He'll honor that. So would you bow your heads now and just use this quiet time as the team comes to think about that.